Welcome to the podcast. You are listening to Rick Thomas, and this is your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for tuning in to this podcast. I am glad you are here. Your Daily Drive is the podcast where I put my article content in audio format so you can listen on the go. So all of you who are on the go right now, thank you for tuning in. In this podcast, I want to talk about spiritual abuse. The title of it is Spiritual Abuse, When It Is Time to Leave. Spiritual abuse is a broad category. What I mean by that is that it can encompass many different kinds of relationships, context, and situations. Wherever there is a two-tiered system of leaders and followers, Spiritual abuse can happen. What I mean by two-tiered system of leaders and followers, probably your mind goes to the church, first of all, and that's appropriate. There are leaders in the church, pastors, elders, deacons, small group leaders, folks who are in spiritual authority. Those are the leaders, and then they are the rest of us, those who follow. And whenever you have a context where there is that two-tiered biblical That's a biblical two-tiered system of leaders and followers. You can have spiritual abuse. Another context is the husband-wife relationship. Another is parent-child. You can also have employer and employee. You can have governmental authorities as well and the rest of us. And so whenever you have a two-tiered system of leaders and followers, It is possible because we're fallen people living in a fallen world. Spiritual abuse can happen. Well, I want to talk about that in this podcast. If you would like to talk to me about this podcast, please go to our forums and ask your questions. We have a public forum that won't cost you a dime. All you have to do is fill out your username and password, get on it, ask your question Did you know we have people available? A lady just responded today on our forum. She said, you are prompt, meaning we are quick, and we try to be. We want to be there for you, and so if you have a question, please ask on our free community forum. If you are a supporting member of our community, thank you so much for your support. You are underwriting this ministry You are laying up treasure in heaven. You are reaching thousands, hundreds of thousands of people around the world. Every day our content goes global. And because you are supporting this ministry, you are helping us. You are helping them. You're laying treasure in heaven. If you are able to support us, would you do that? It would be wonderful. We have so much that we want to do. I have a lot of ideas. I was telling someone recently that rarely does anybody suggest an idea that we haven't already thought about, a way to get the gospel into more people's hands and minds. And so it's not that we're lacking ideas. We lack financial support. And so if you can support us, That would be great. One of the things that you help us to do is that I do conferences, and I don't charge for conferences. If you would like for me to come speak to you, I will come. The only thing that I do charge is that you cover our expenses. But as far as love offerings or having a set fee, I don't have 
that. We just ask that you cover our costs. And by the way, I do ask that I not stay in a hotel. I prefer to stay with the pastor or or someone in the local church. It it doesn't matter with whom. It might matter. Depends on who you put me with. <laughs> but it doesn't matter who you put me with. Now that not only cuts costs for the folks that are bringing me to wherever. But it also allows me to get to know the people. Hotels are kind of boring, and I don't particularly enjoy them, but I love being with the people. And if I can be with the people that I'm speaking to, that's a double bonus for everybody. But you know, the supporting membership helps uh, to take care of the cost because you're helping support this ministry, and therefore we don't charge. Now, folks typically give a love offering, and that goes to the ministry as well. I get a salary. I'm not paid uh, any other way. So any monies that come to us, it goes directly to the ministry. So if you can support us, would you do that? Go to our website, and you can find the support options, and that would be fantastic. Let's talk about spiritual abuse, specifically when it is time to leave. I have another article on the website called Eight Signs of Spiritual Abuse. I would encourage you to read that one as well. These two articles go together. But any instance where a person chooses to dominate, to manipulate, or seek to control someone else, it is a context of spiritual abuse. I regularly see spiritual mistreatment in marriage counseling where one spouse is creating havoc in the other person's life. This is a common occurrence, and I probably have seen this more than anything else because, well, I do or have done historically a lot of marriage counseling, and so that is a common context, a relational context where spiritual abuse happens. And it's not just the husband dominating a wife. Sometimes, and many times, you may be surprised to know that the wife is the spiritual abuser. But I think most people would equate spiritual abuse as something that happens in a local church or within a denominational setting, and that would be true and that would be appropriate to think that way. But I do want you to understand, even though I'm going to talk about local church spiritual abuse primarily in this podcast, it's why I set it up as being any context where there is a two-tiered system, because It may not be a local church for you, but it could be some other kind of relationship. But as far as the local church is concerned, when Peter wrote about spiritual abuse, he most certainly had the local church in mind. He said in 1 Peter 5, 3, listen to this text, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. He's talking about leaders here. The word spiritual speaks to the type and the location of the abuse. It is spiritual. That's the type. And the location of spiritual abuse, well, that's something that happens inside of a person. Because it's spiritual, it is inside of the person. That's where the abuse happens. Spiritual abuse is different from physically beating someone or bringing other forms of physical harm to a person. Now, no doubt, bodily harm will affect you spiritually. 
The idea of spiritual abuse is its internal effect. Here are three aspects. One, it's spiritual. Two, it's soul-related. Three, it affects a person's inner being. Now, this podcast is about how a person can be abused spiritually within an organizational setting, even when there is no physical harm. These kinds of mental mind games happen more than you may realize. And so again, while I'm talking about a denominational or local church setting, you can apply this to any of any hierarchical setting where there is a follower and a leader. Let's first talk about mental manipulation. Spiritual abuse connotes mental mishandling or mental manhandling. It is controlling and manipulating the thoughts of an individual to coerce the person to a desired end. This outcome is easy to accomplish within religious systems. People participate in religion because they are eager to be part of a system in which they can submit. It is normal for Christians to come into a local church setting, first-time visitors, and they come in with a willingness to submit to the leaders of that local church. They desire to follow God. And they want others to teach them how to honor the Lord by their lives. I would say this kind of humility is the makeup of most people who consistently pursue God, who pursue his Bible and pursue his church. This is a good thing, but this paradigm is most definitely what happens in the counseling office. For example, people come to me broken, looking for help. There is a level of vulnerability and willingness motivating a person to find solutions for their situational or relational challenges. Vulnerable people are manipulatable people. They're looking for answers, which makes them willing to submit to the counsel given. Now, this reality elevates soul care to the highest level of sobriety. As a Christian counselor, which is what I am, I realize I have the full attention of those within my care. Their hearts are open to what I have to say. God has placed me in a position that could direct the entire course of their future lives. Think about that. A biblical counselor, a person who has spiritual authority over another individual, can direct the entire course of their future lives. That is a profound thought. And this is probably the thing that irritates me the most about harsh and unkind counselors, biblical counselors I'm talking about. It is profoundly humbling to think about. And even as I say these words, I feel the weight on my soul for the people who are in my care. The experience of blogging is similar. I'm writing to people, and people come to our website looking, hungry, seeking, willing, vulnerable, weak, hoping for answers, and the Lord has given me a big door to walk through, and the reality of the effect I can have on people's lives, it never, ever leaves me. We're all manipulatable. People do not enter their local churches the same way they walk onto a car sales lot. 
They come to the church building with open hearts, eager to receive something that will help them to be better human beings. Some of these believers even prepare their hearts Saturday night before the church meeting. They prepare beforehand by asking the Father to open their eyes and their minds so they can receive the transformative word. They may appeal like this, quote, Lord, give me ears to hear what you have to say, end quote. Because of these willful vulnerabilities from the congregation, every teacher should be doubly cautious about how he brings his teaching to bear on hungry hearts. I think this gets to the heart of James 3.1. You remember what he said? Here it is. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. It would not take much to steer a person the wrong way or to abuse them spiritually. You couple a person's desire to be taught, the congregant's desire to be taught, taught, or the followers desire to be taught and a teacher's propensity to sin. And it makes sense as to why Peter and James would warn pastors about how to take care of their flocks. When abuse happens, it's hard to perceive or believe that it's happening to you. It typically takes a long while for the mind to shift gears from being willingly vulnerable to willingly defensive because the hungry soul wants to be part of an organization that helps them mature in Christ. As time within the system progresses and as they become more acquainted with the internal mechanisms behind the scenes, they may experience things that they don't relate to their understanding of the Bible. So they come into the local church, they are time for a while, and they're there for a while, and Again, they, they are not thinking critically or cynically about being abused, and it can take them a while, but as they become familiar with the internal machinations, they begin to sense things, see things, perceive things, and these things don't line up to God's Word. And again, this process will be slow for them. The abused will go from not seeing the abuse to denying the abuse, and it will be hard for them to admit that what they are observing is true. I think most of us prefer to live in a reasonable amount of bliss. I hope you're not so suspicious that you come in looking for these things. I mean, we want to be discerning. We want to be wise, but we don't want to be cynical or suspicious. If abuse is happening, as they become more involved in the system, the chances of them experience violence, experiencing violence will be high. What they may have perceived before will become their personal experience. Now they're starting to experience it. And they will be on the receiving end of mental manipulations and unedifying speechifying. Ephesians 4.29 says it this way, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Abusive talk is corrupting talk. It defiles, it tears down, it brings a person down, it's unedifying. This kind of domination will be exhausting to the soul and fatiguing to the mind. Those are 
typically two signs of the abused. They walk with Their walk with God will become more rote than refreshed, more guarded than joyful. It is like those scenes you see in war movies of the soldiers slinking their way back from the battlefield. Their eyes are glazed over, shoulders slumped, and their gait drags along. The abused person is shell-shocked. Their energy is gone. The soul drains. They are the victims of a verbally pummeling that leads to spiritual defeat. In most situations like this, the train has long left the station while the passengers are still standing on the dock, not realizing what has happened. The abused person is usually the last person to know what is happening to them. They're always hoping against hope. Just maybe things will change. But the problem with staying too long can overtax the soul, which could prolong their recovery. In most all cases, people stay too long in an abusive environment. If spiritual abuse is happening within an authoritarian context, you are more than likely not going to change it. You, as an individual, as a congregant, as a follower, as a church member, you probably are not going to change it. Only the mighty hand of God can intervene in the lives of the abusers. They have constructed their systems with no real accountability measures in place. Spiritual abuse thrives when there is no checks and balances that set up the set that are set up to counteract the sinful actions. Abusers are shrewd. They live within a system that only they can manage. No one else can disrupt what they have built. There is always an apparent dichotomy between the leadership and the laity. Though the congregant may interact with the leaders, they, are, they will not be able to hold the authorities accountable. What you know about the leadership is not all there is to know, but eventually you'll begin to find these things out. True biblical leadership, on the other hand, it's different. Individuals found their leadership on humility which manifest in openness, transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. Christian leaders invite you to speak into their lives. They build open systems where all people are truly equal, and they treat their followers as more significant than themselves. It's right out of the heart of, of the gospel in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Biblical leadership cares more about the people they serve than their own lives, Mark ten forty five. They have a healthy self-suspicion of themselves. Knowing how the heart leans toward corruption and without the care of a reciprocal and caring community, they understand the possibilities of personal failure. This trap motivates them to build community, to build communally. Rather than isolating themselves from the body of Jesus, they have an interdependent worldview when it comes to church life. They don't want to be independent leaders as though the community they serve does not matter. True, shepherds always, true shepherding always has attentive ears to the needs of the flock, and the leaders would rather die than to offend one of those within their care. Abusing another person regardless of the context, is about as anti-gospel as a person could get. Listen to John 10, 11. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. 
the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's why I said abusing people is about as anti-gospel as you can get. It's anti-Christ. Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Listen to Moses in Exodus 32, 32. I love this. As he thought about his fallen nation, his fallen demographic, he said, but now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Moses was so burdened for his people that if God was not going to forgive them, he asked that God would blot his name out of the book. Paul says something similar. In Romans 9, 3, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul, Moses, Jesus, ready to lay their lives down for those within their care. I would not recommend you go toe-to-toe with spiritual abusers. If abuse is happening, I suggest you leave the system of injustice. I'm not saying you should refrain from saying anything. No, by all means, you should tell someone. Matthew 18 applies to you, and it is quite clear on what you should do. Verses 17, or 15, 16, and 17 out of Matthew 18. You should make your appeals and try to address the wrongs you perceive. I'm not recommending you slither passively out the door without making a sound. I'm saying that in most cases, efforts to change abusive leadership or leadership models does not accomplish anything good. The spiritual abusers live in a closed system of which you are not allowed to participate. They have firm and defined secret handshakes where a person is vetted as they climb the ladder of success. If you're in what you perceive to be a manipulative, heavy-handed, overly authoritarian church environment, you need, first of all, to make an assessment of what is going on in your church as well as in your soul. Let me give you a few considerations, which is by no means an exhaustive list for you to think about, things for you to think about. These are a few thoughts to get, to get the ball rolling, at least in your mind. If you have a friend, like a spouse— who can wisely walk you through this process, it would be good to seek counsel from that individual. But here are a few things for you to consider as you try to determine if abuse is happening. Number one, have you seen abuse? What is it? Describe it. It's important. You should be able to articulate it if it's there. Number two, have you made your appeals to the leadership? You cannot let it go. You may be right. Or you may be wrong. Either way, you cannot take a passive position here. God's fame and your well-being are at stake, as well as the well-being of others. Number three, what was the outcome of your appeal? Were they learners, the people that you approached? Did they treat you more significant than themselves? Were they humble? Number four, how have they changed? How have you changed? What has changed? Number five, have others approached you about abuse? Is it externally affirmed by other people what you are observing? Have other people observed it? Now, let me ask you, how have you handled their concerns? Have you refrained from gossip, 
or slander? Number six, have you stewarded well the reputations of your leaders? You want to steward the reputation of your leaders until you are fully assured and it's externally vetted by other people that they are spiritual abusers. Otherwise, you want to be quite careful here. Number seven, have you appealed to those who have approached you to go through a similar process, like what I'm outlining here? What you want to do is have them to think through these same questions. You want to make sure. Number eight, if you have gossiped or slandered, have you repented to God and to those that you gossiped or slandered about? Number nine, are you becoming bitter about your church leadership? Number 10, are you in a position to cooperate with the leaders to help bring change? Two more considerations to try to discern if there is abuse going on in your contacts, whether it's a local church, and this again, some of this could apply to a marriage, a parenting dynamic, or other hierarchical dynamic. But number 11, has God called you to help bring change, and do you have the skill to accomplish this? Number 12, can you accept things the way they are and not have it hard in your conscience? Is your conscience free and clear, and can you live with this? If abuse is objectively happening and God has not called you to bring change, and you know you can't bring change, and your conscience is hardening, you need to consider leaving. That's why I titled this podcast, Spiritual Abuse, when it's time to leave. Let me walk through those four points again. If, number one, abuse is objectively happening. Number two, God has not called you to bring change. Number three, and you know you can't bring change. And number four, your conscience is hardening. If those four elements are in play, you need to consider leaving. Let me give you a few soul signs. I put that in quotation marks, soul signs. That if they are happening, you must seek help. These could be signs that are pointing you toward the door. These are signs that speak to something wrong with you, and it's imperative you find help, meaning you've been affected so much by the spiritual abuse. That's what I mean by something wrong with you. I'm not saying you're the cause of the spiritual abuse. I'm just saying that it has affected you, and now there is something wrong with you. And if these things are coming out of you, if these soul signs are happening to you, you need to find help. Now, I'm going to preface each one of these statements with, when you think about your local church, number one, you're more critical than encouraged. Maybe you could substitute spouse. When you think about your spouse, you are more critical than encouraged. When you think about your children or think about your parent or think, parents or think about your whatever spiritual authority there is in your life. When you think about your local church, you are more critical than encouraged. If that is you, it may be time for you to hit the door. When you think about your spiritual authority, you're more negative than positive. You're more despairing than hopeful. You're more cynical than thinking the best. You're more faithless than trusting. When you think about that spiritual authority, you're more grumpy than cheerful, more angry than joyful, more impatient than forbearing. You're more sad than happy and more distant than relational. 
The only person you can change is yourself. If the abusive environment does not change, you need to leave. The longer you stay, the more hurt and hardened you will become. Prayer is the best thing you can do for the abusers. But you will not be able to do this if you're angry or if you harbor resentment in your heart toward them. Abusers need your prayers, not your indignation. So examine yourself to see whether you need to leave. If you say yes to most of these, you need to leave. More critical than encouraged, more negative than positive, more despairing than hopeful, more cynical than thinking the best, more faithless than trusting, more grumpy than cheerful, more angry than joyful, more impatient than forbearing, more sad than angry, and more distant than relational. The title of the podcast is Spiritual Abuse When It Is Time to Leave, and I would encourage you to read my article, Eight Signs of Spiritual Abuse. I also have another article here titled How to Take Every Thought Captive, one of the most popular articles on our website because we all have these mental battles. If you are in an abusive situation, you're being spiritually abused, please consider this podcast. Go to the website, read the article. Come back, let us know how we can serve you. Ask your questions on our forums. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.